There's no place like home. Dorothy said, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. That's all it took for Dorothy to return to Kansas. Well, beside closing her eyes and clicking her feet together three times. Perhaps because of that movie, and I think it really has influenced our society, that movie which first came out in 1939, that phrase has become a part of our American culture. We all know the feelings connected to it. Last summer, as we were arriving at our house after being gone for 10 months on our sabbatical, it was the first part of August, and we were driving up into our neighborhood and looking around and driving into our home. Uh, Beth Sanders stayed in our house while we were gone, and I thought to myself, and I said it out loud, I said, there's no place like home. And Sherry said, yeah, but it's still stinking hot. But I said, but, there, but, but there's no place like home. And as Christ followers, there is another dimension to our desire to get home. Our eternal home in heaven is awaiting us. Recently, as a congregation, we have um, celebrated and mourned the homegoing of several people. Trey, Cindy, Mike George. And each one, especially Cindy and Mike George, expressed to me at different times how much they desired to go home, to be with the Lord in heaven. I believe with all my heart that when they opened their eyes and beheld the face of Jesus, as it says in 2 Corinthians 4, the glory of the face of Jesus, the glory of eternity, that the sentiment was probably on their lips and in their hearts when they opened their eyes and said, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. My mother was 11 years old in 1939. And she used to tell us, because one of our favorite movies growing up was The Wizard of Oz, and she used to tell us that um, she was in a little town that um, had one movie theater, and her parents had never allowed her to go to a movie before. But they made an exception for, in 1939, to see The Wizard of Oz. So she and all of her friends went to the movies. And she's 11 years old, just a child. And they're all excited, and it's wonderful, and it opens up with Kansas, and there's this kind of black and white, sepia, kind of eerie look to the film and everything. And then when they land in Oz, and they open up the door, and it's in living color. And she said, the entire audience of the movie went, oh! They took just a gigantic breath. They had never, ever before seen a color movie. Never seen it. It was something brand new. It was spectacular. It was unbelievable. Just this, this awe of what this looked like. Can you imagine what it was like for Cindy Barton and Mike George to be freed from these physical bodies that failed them both and to stand and open their eyes and go, oh, and they can't hardly believe what they're seeing. I mean, greater than Oz. How can that be possible, right? What a joy it is to know that in these physical bodies that we have, as good as they are and as useful as they've been, God has promised us an eternal home. Paul says everything changes in the kingdom of God. Now, we all know that we are deeply rooted in what the Bible calls the kingdom of man. We are, our feet are fastened to this earth. 
And we enjoy it. We love it. We have all of the things about it that we appreciate. But we also know that the kingdom of man is a place of pain and brokenness and hurt and aging bodies and sin and brokenness and enmity and racism and all as we know that the kingdom of man, although it's a wonderful place, it's a very disturbing place. But God promised us that there's something different. There's something more. Not the kingdom of man, but the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is not just something in the by and by, not just something in the future, not just something we experience in heaven, but the kingdom of God begins right now when we give our hearts and our lives to Jesus Christ. Jesus said, it's the kingdom of God in your midst right now. So the kingdom of God begins when you give your heart to Jesus. And then we live in that tension between this earthly bound kingdom of man and this heavenly bound kingdom of God. And Paul says, I know it's not easy to live in that way, but when you recognize what you have waiting for you, when you recognize that someday you will be with God in heaven, when you recognize someday you will step out of that door, it'll be something greater than Oz, you will say, you will shout, there's no place like home. As great as earth was, as great as the kingdom of man was, there is no place like home. Now, listen to how Paul contrasts the kingdom of man with the kingdom of God, the earthly with the heavenly, the present mortal bodies with the immortal. This is what we read in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verses 1 to 10. Well, first of all, let me start with another, uh, another uh, passage uh, earlier in the chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians. Because Paul recognized that in this world, there's trouble, and there's pain, and there's suffering, and there's all of that. And he says, let me, let me tell you, and, and the, the, the Corinthian church was experiencing that in a powerful way. In the Corinthian church, you know this from other weeks that we've studied this, they were being persecuted on, on three different fronts. Uh, the Roman front, they were afraid of this movement that was Christianity that was getting out of control, so the Romans were against them. The um, religious institution, the uh, Jewish church was against them because uh, they were taking people away, converts away from Judaism. And the Greeks were against them because the sophists and the, and, uh, the uh, other uh, sects of, of, of uh, Greek, Christ, uh, Greek religion, the Gnostics and others, were always trying to pull away these people as well. So they were feeling this pressure on all sides. And this is what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4. He said, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. And they have hope because they recognize the difference between this kingdom of man and this kingdom of God. Paul knows the difference. Listen to what he said in 2 Corinthians 4. He said, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. Now, this is what he says, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long. I know at times they don't feel small. I know that, and we all know that. But Paul says, listen, compared to eternity, our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory, there's that word again, that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can now see. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. The kingdom of man will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see, the kingdom of heaven, we see will last forever. Paul says, I know the difference between the present and the future, the physical body and the eternal body, the present troubles and the future glory. 
But in all of that, we are to fix our eyes on eternity, fix our eyes on Jesus, fix our eyes on those things which are not seen and recognize that there is a much better place. And God calls that our eternal home. There's no place like home indeed. So here's our text for this morning. We're going to look at chapter 5, and we'll look at the first 10 verses. Now, this is a backdrop, all the trouble and persecution they were experiencing. Paul gives them this idea that everything's going to change in the future. Listen to what he has to say in 2 Corinthians 5, 1 to 10. For we know that when this earthly tent, that's talking about our body, we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body, We will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies, and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing, for we will put on our heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. Remember that. Some people think we'll just be kind of like ghosts floating around heaven. We will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. Isn't that a great phrase? God himself has prepared for us, prepared us for this. And as a guarantee, remember that word, a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit, this earthly body. So we are always confident, verse 6, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. For we live by believing and not by seeing. Yes, we are fully confident and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies for then we will be at home with the Lord. So whether we are here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please Him. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. Paul describes here our earthly, excuse me, our eternal home. And talk about there's no place like home. Imagine what we will have when we get to heaven. Now, there's three parts of this text I want to share with you today. The first one is this. We will have a new body. We'll talk about that. Secondly, we can be confident confident. The word is used that is used is guarantee. We can be confident of our place, our reservation in heaven. And the third thing is this, we will be rewarded for our faithfulness in heaven. That's a teaching that very few Christians know a lot about. We'll talk about that today as too. So the first characteristic of our, your eternal home is this. We will have a new body. We will have a new body. Verse 1, For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. Paul says that our bodies are a temporary dwelling place. It's like a tent. One of the things that Cindy told me a couple weeks before she died was that when I I shared this passage with her in in 2 Corinthians 5, and she said, my body's just like this tent. She said, I I feel like, though, that I've lost all my tent pegs. (laughs) You know, I I feel like I'm better ready to just... Well, that's the way we feel when our bodies get older and they get broken and they get diseased. We feel like it's starting to fold up and we no longer have this tent, the temporary dwelling. 
Not intended to last more than 70, 80, 90 years. And sometimes much shorter. So as most of you know, um, yesterday we celebrated Tyler's birthday. He would have been 34 years old. He died when he was 10 years old in 1989. And, um, and I remember the day after, the morning after he was pronounced dead. Um, Sherry didn't sleep all night. She pretty much cried all night. And I tried to, I was in and out of sleep. And, and she, I remember she woke me up early in the morning and she grabbed her Bible and she said, Dwayne, and, and she said this with a lot of emphasis, show me that Tyler's in heaven. I need to know, I need to see it, I need to feel it. I need to know that he's not just gone. I need to know that he's alive in heaven. You show me. And as she gave me the Bible, I was kind of stunned by that, but not really. And, and guess where we turned? We turned to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we t- it talks about how that Tyler's body, as perfect as a 10-year-old body is, his body was still an earthly tent. And sometimes God says, you know what? I'm going to take you home early. And he took Tyler home early. But there's something about this earthly tent that we get so attached to. We think it's the most important thing in the world, but it's only something that is very temporary. So if our earthly body is temporary, what is it that's eternal? Well, Jesus gave us a hint at the eternal nature of our new home. So a lot of you know this passage. It's found in John chapter 14, and it's read at many funerals, many memorial services. But I want you to hear the words of this uh, amazing text. And uh, listen to what Jesus is saying uh, to the disciples that are listening to him. They're very curious about what's going to happen after they die. Listen to what he says. He said, don't let your hearts be troubled or bothered. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough enough room in my father's home. Isn't that beautiful? He said, you guys don't have to worry that there's not going to be space for you in heaven. There's more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, I would have told you that I'm going to prepare for a place for you. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Now, what Jesus is saying is, listen, God is preparing a place for you even now. I don't know when you're going to die. I don't know how many years the Lord's going to give you on this planet. But the Lord is preparing a place for you now. And when it's time, it says, when God says it's time for Jim or for Joey or for Janet, when it's time, I'm going to call you and your house is going to be prepared for you. And it's going to be wonderful. And it's going to be beautiful. Now, if you um, want to take a look after the service at our youth rooms right over here, uh, both of them are torn up dramatically. Uh, yesterday, one of the projects was to redo the youth room so the, tours are, the, the floors are torn up and the cabinets are taken out. And Brian and his crew of guys are going to completely redo those rooms. Now, if Brian and his band of misfits in a couple of days you know, can restructure those youth rooms and make them look better, how much do you th- what do you think Jesus can do in 2,000 years preparing your house? Remember the old song, It's a Big, Big House, where there's football? I love that part of the song. And there's a big banquet and all that. It's a big, big house, and God has prepared it for you. And it's going to be beautiful, and the beds are going to be made, and it's going to be beautiful and dusted, and it'll smell good, and dinner will be ready, and it'll be just amazing, our eternal home. While I was writing this sermon on Wednesday morning, the bug guy got here. 
And he sprays all the church outside and inside for scorpions and bugs and everything like that. And so he taps on my door. My door was closed because I was studying. And he walks in, he knows the routine, and he sprays all around the things. And we say hi, we exchange hi. But I'm thinking as I'm writing my sermon, I said, someday I'm not going to have to mess with scorpions. Because that house is not going to have Bulwark or some other company come and spray. There won't be any, at least I don't think so, I hope not. There won't be scorpions or avocado pits. It will be a perfect place. There will be nothing wrong with it, and it will be for you. And for 2,000 years, Jesus has been preparing your home. You say, okay, that's great. I love it. My home in heaven. I got that. But what about my body? Okay? What about my body? The Bible says that, what the text that we read, that the eternal body will have an eternal body made for us by God himself. Our eternal body will be made by God himself. Well, what will it be like? Well, here's what Paul said in Philippians chapter 3. He will take our weak and mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies. Now, read those last three words with me. Like his own. See, what will, his body, what will our bodies be like? Well, they will be like the body that Jesus had after he was resurrected from the dead. Now, we, we don't know a lot about his body, but we do know that he was kind of had this aura, this shining, this radiance, kind of like Moses, only it never faded. He didn't have to wear a veil. So he had this radiance. We also know that he was not held back by, uh, by uh, walls and gates and things like that. He just appeared. So uh, somehow there's a restructuring of the atoms in his body so that he was not held back by any kind of earthly thing. But we also know that he was, uh, it was a real body. He was touched. He said, Thomas, touch my hands. Touch my side. Recognize that it's me. Thomas said, I'm not sure that's Jesus. He doesn't kind of look like Jesus, but... And then on the road to Emmaus, he walked beside these two Christ followers and they didn't recognize him at first until he opened the scripture. So he looked different, he looked beautiful, he looked radiant, but yet there was a physical body there. Sometimes we think that we'll be like angels in the clouds. No, no, no. We will have a real physical body just like Jesus did, our resurrected bodies. Our bodies will be resurrected at the resurrection when Jesus Christ returns. Whatever form your body is in, whether it's dust or it's been cremated or whatever it is, that will be reunited with your spirit and you'll have a brand new body just like Jesus. Now that's pretty good news. Some of you didn't even know that. Jesus' body was this amazing new entity and one day we will have that kind of body as well. Now, for those of us who are older, we recognize that our bodies are wearing down. I was just talking to a couple guys after the first service and man, there was a time when I thought my body was, was doing really good for me. Well, these days when I get up, it just doesn't feel the same, you know? I had two metal hips. Uh, Jack Maloof was in first service. He's been here two weeks. He just had double knee replacements about a month ago, and he's in church already. But our bodies, they start wearing out. They start getting old. So I, I found this wonderful um, letter that was written from a man, a real man, a soul, written to his body. So it'd be like if I were to write the real me, which is my soul that will last for, live forever, the real me was writing a letter to my body. Listen to what it says. You and I have been together for a long time in a most intimate and valuable relationship. Now you have grown old. Your hearing and your strength are failing. Your resistance to cold is diminishing. You cannot climb and run as you once did. In a word, you're running down. In a short time, you will cease to breathe and your heart will stop beating. 
When you can go no further, you will be returned to the substance of which you were made. Okay, that's the dust. Earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. And I, the soul, I shall continue on in that life where you are not needed. A power greater than you and I started us on this journey together. Now I recognize that you are aware of the fact that your journey is nearing its end, while my journey has scarcely begun. I know this to be true, for while you are feeble, I have never been more alive. Our separation, therefore, cannot be one of sadness, but will be one of joy. You are weary and want to stop. I am longing to alight from this slowing vehicle. It's like I want to jump out of the cab, right? I'm longing to alight from this slowing vehicle and go on without you. Death will mean that your desire to stop is granted and my longing is satisfied. Isn't that beautiful? We, our souls with our new bodies will live forever, but our earthly tents will wear away. Now listen, let me say it one last way to help you kind of seal this into your heart. Paul said to the Corinthian church, because they were struggling with all kinds of adversity and pain and persecution, Paul said to the church at Corinth, and he says to you and I today in 2013, he says, I know the little kingdom is difficult. I know the kingdom of man is hard. I know that you're rooted to this world and that there's evil and there's wickedness and there's racism and there's pain and there's suffering and there's divorce and there's all kinds of... I know that. I know that it's hard. I know it's difficult. I know that it's filled with metal hips and metal knees and all kinds of things. I know that you're wearing down. I know that you're slowing down. And I know that all of us are on this pathway to breathe our last breath. But Paul would say this. He would say, now listen, but this is the testimony of God's word. And this is the testimony of the Christian faith that everything that you feel and see and experience in your body is temporary. It is temporary. It is temporary. It is not the real you. It is not the thing that you're to hold on to. It's not the thing that's going to last forever. It is temporary. But I will give you a brand new body and you will have that body for the rest of eternity. Now that's good news. In our eternal home, we will have a new body. And that new body, the Bible says, we just read this, will be swallowed up by life. Our eternal home, we'll have a new body. There's no place like home. But in our eternal body, the second thing is this. We can be confident of our place in heaven. We can be confident of our place in heaven. In heaven. The closing scenes of The Wizard of Oz. The hot air balloon has just taken off. You know the story. And uh, Dorothy says, Oh, oh, now I'll never get home. She's very sad, thinking that was the only way she could get back to Kansas. But Glinda, the good witch, I still don't know how that thing works. Uh, Glinda has told Dorothy, uh, She's always had the power. You've always had the power to return to Kansas. And she points to Dorothy's slippers. And the scarecrow looks and the scarecrow comments. He said, but that's too easy. Dorothy says, oh dear, that's too wonderful to be true. Dorothy can't believe that it really is that easy to get back home. Now I'm not saying that Becoming a follower of Christ is simple. It's not. It takes devotion. It takes commitment. 
it takes dying to yourself. But I am saying this. It's easy. It's easy to say yes to God. It's easy to deliver your will to him and say, Lord, live my life. It's easy to be forgiven of your sins. It's easy to say, Lord, have you prepared a place for me in heaven? And he would say, Dwayne, for the last 2,000 years, I've been building you a place. You should see it. It's got the wow factor. It's nothing like those 11-year-olds in 1939. It is unbelievable. It's as easy as you saying, Lord Jesus, be my Savior, be my Lord, be my King, be my Redeemer, be my Forgiver. Yes, it's that easy. In Paul's writing to the Corinthians, he was aware of how the believers of Corinth were lacking in confidence around the big kingdom, not really knowing. In fact, he spent an entire chapter in the first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, describing to them the power of the resurrection, what the resurrection was going to be like. He said, yeah, I'm going to be resurrected, but so are you. You're going to be resurrected too. So he's trying to help them understand about this big kingdom, this kingdom of God. How does this work? How does this work when we're rooted in this little kingdom? And he said all of those things. He said, I know you have some confusion around this. You have some concerns because of the persecution. But, but, but here's the deal. Paul stressed to them and assured them that it was about God's grace and his power that would, here's the word, guarantee their home in heaven. We need to put our confidence and trust in Jesus. And he says, I promise you, I will guarantee your place in heaven. Now, 2 Timothy, we read these words from Paul. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack. You notice it doesn't say some evil attacks. Every evil attack and will bring one safely to his heavenly kingdom. There's the promise. It's a guarantee. We can be absolutely confident, Paul says, because our eternal home doesn't depend on us, how much we believe or how much we, good works we do. Our eternal home depends on him. It's a guarantee. The word confident can be translated guarantee, and it's as, as if it's already happened. So we are on the beginning of our sabbatical, and we're driving up the, north, the coast of Northern California, on Highway 1. It was a spectacular drive. And we're coming into Oregon, but we're a couple hours late for the reservation of our bed and breakfast in a small coastal town in Oregon. I forget the name of the town. Do you still remember it? You still don't remember it. Okay, so we should rehearse this before. So this small uh, uh, coastal town in Oregon. And as we're getting closer, we realize that we're going to be about two hours past our reservation time. We're supposed to get there at five we get there about seven. Sherry's very concerned that we're not going to have a place in the B&B. So she calls them up and she says, uh, do you still have our reservation? We're going to be late. Can we hold that reservation? And the guy said, sure, no problem. He said, we've got your credit card and we've already run your credit card. They already charged us for the room and we're not even there yet. He said, it is absolutely guaranteed. It'll be here when you get here. How much more? The blood of Jesus guaranteed your place in heaven. Not your credit card that probably has too much on it anyway. Not the bank that promises that that credit card is good. But the blood of Jesus Christ that was paid for your sins and guarantees that you have a place in heaven. You have a place at the table. The great banquet hall of God. You have a place at the table. Not because you're good, because you're not. 
Not because you're faithful, because many times you're not, but because the blood of Jesus made that place yours. And when you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, it became yours. It is a guarantee. Jesus on the cross, the last three words he said was, it is finished, which means paid in full. You're guaranteed reservation in heaven. And it has nothing to do with a credit card. Your place in heaven is guaranteed. I love that. I love that promise that heaven is guaranteed. It's already been done. It's already been finished. Your heavenly home is guaranteed. Now here's the last thing that your eternal home experiences. Here's the last thing. Your eternal home is where we will be rewarded for our faithfulness. Now, this is a teaching, and we, won't have, we don't have a lot of time this morning, but this is a teaching that's kind of new to some of you. So I'm going to run through it quickly and promise you this, that sometime in the future, we'll do a series on rewards so that you kind of understand this. But I want to get you the feel of this because the text is very clear about this. So let me read to you what it says in the last two verses of our text. So whether we are here in this body or away from this body, okay, whether we're planted on this earth or we're in heaven, right, our goal is to please him. Okay, that's understood. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. And some of you are going, whoa, 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 wait a minute. How, where, where'd that come from? We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. Now, the judgment seat of Christ is what this is referring to, is that future event when God's people will stand before the Savior and their works will be judged and rewarded. Now, again, this is new to some of you, especially if you're new Christians. Judged and rewarded. Now, Paul wanted to stand before Jesus with joy and not with shame. John says it another way in 1 John chapter 2. Here's what John says. And now, dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ so that when he returns, you will be full of courage and not shrink back from him in shame. I mean, none of us wants to stand before Christ and be filled with shame and to shrink back and say, I don't want to be in that glorious place in front of Christ. Now, the judgment seat comes from the Greek word bima, bima seat. It's a platform where decisions were handed down and awards were given out to winners in the annual Olympic Games. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand or mistaken this for another thing, and I've taught on this before. The great white throne judgment of Revelation chapter 20, the great white throne judgment is where all people of all time will stand before God and you will be judged for your sins. But you will not stand at the great white throne judgment. Why? Because your sins have already been judged and they've already been acquitted in the blood of Jesus Christ. You'll not stand before God and say, okay, now we got to decide whether or not you're going to get into heaven or not. Your place is guaranteed. Your place is reserved because of Jesus, not because of you. And so the great white throne judgment is for all those people that have said no to God, no, 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 no. They now will face God with their own lives, their own sin, and they'll pay, they'll pay for it, right? Those of us will stand before God and he will only see Jesus Christ. So what is this judgment seat of Christ where we stand in judgment before Jesus? Well, here's what it is. It's not about being judged for our salvation, but it's about evaluation. Not salvation, but evaluation. We'll be held accountable for what we have done with the gifts and abilities and talents that God has given us as Christ followers, as believers. What have you done with this message that Jesus loves you? Have you shared that with other people? 
What have you done with this gift of teaching? What have you done with this gift of caring for others, of serving others? What have you done with it? So it'll be all about evaluation and will be rewarded those who have done well. So what does that look like in heaven? Well, it doesn't look like this. Well, that guy got a big award and I didn't get so much, so I feel kind of bad. And bad. No, the Bible says there's no unhappiness, there's no tears, there's none of that. When we get to heaven and we're rewarded, We'll just rejoice. Oh man, Sherry Cross, she got those rewards and she was so deserving. Praise God for her. I'm glad I knew her. And I'll be rejoicing. Nobody will be saying, well, I didn't get a good reward. Well, there'll be none of that envy, none of that stuff, but we'll all be there and we'll all be in tune with God's love and there'll all be the sense of great joy and great anticipation. See, we are saved not by our good works. You will never be saved by what you do, but we are saved for good works. We are saved so that we can do works of righteousness for God. That's what we will be judged for. How faithfully have you used your time? How faithfully have you used your money? How faithfully have you used your gifts, your talents? How faithfully have you been a witness? Rewarded for such. Not demoted, but rewarded. Some of us will be receiving those rewards and everyone will rejoice. No jealousy, no envy, but joy and celebration. Again, I promise you sometime we'll do a whole teaching on that, but you need to know that part of what we do in this world, what we do in this life as Christ followers, to please God, will one day be rewarded. So this is Paul's teaching on our eternal home. You'll have a new body, a brand new body that will last forever. And it won't just be a spirit, it will be a new body. You can also be confident of your place in heaven. It is guaranteed it is guaranteed by the blood of Jesus. You can be confident of your place in heaven. And the third thing is that you will be rewarded for your faithfulness. Now, I don't know about you. I've preached this sermon twice, and I've read this, and we've done funerals and memorial services lately, and I know that my body's getting up in years, and it tells me every day it's getting up in years. And I know that I still have much to do on this planet, but you know what? When I hear a message like this, I say, Lord, to be absent in the body, is to be present with the Lord. And someday, and that will be a glorious day, I can't hardly wait. There's an old hymn that many of us know, and it goes like this. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. How many know that hymn? Okay. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. And the last thing I want to say today, and I want you to say it with me three times, the words of Dorothy. Let's say it together. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. Let's bow your heads, please. Father, what a joy it is to be your children. The promise you have made for us to us is unbelievable, literally unbelievable, in that this promise seals for us, it guarantees for us that we have eternity in heaven with this new body and this amazing house that you have built for us. And we thank you, Father, for this amazing gift. But Lord, I also realize that there may be some here today who have never, by faith, said yes to God. They have never said, well, th th that's what I want. I want my sins to be forgiven. I don't want to be judged, stand before God and be judged for what I've said and done and thought and felt. I want to be, I want to be Christ's one. I want to be a child of God. I want eternity. I want heaven as my eternal home. And, and Lord, if there are those here this morning who fit that category and that have never said yes to you, I just pray that you would encourage them to simply say yes. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. 
And Lord, allow me to live for eternity. Guarantee me a spot in heaven because I want to love you as my Lord and Savior. And this morning, if there are those of you like that, I would just encourage you to pray that prayer on your own. The Lord will hear that. He will know that. And when you pray that prayer, would you tell me? Would you either call me or email me or tell me this morning? You know what, Dwayne? I pray that prayer, and I want to follow Jesus. And I just trust that you will take that step today. And Lord, for the rest of us, may we rejoice in what you have given us. You have given us this amazing idea of what it means to live with you forever. We'll have a new body. We'll have a guaranteed place. And we'll be rewarded for what we have done on this earth. So, Father, thank you for this amazing teaching. Thank you for our eternal home. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.